0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: We've been left back in the studio for a second edition of Optusport's brand new football podcast, The Gagapod. Hello to those who were with us last week, and a very warm welcome to first-time listeners. David Wiener with you for a midweek football chat in the midst of another riveting Champions League match day. Melvin McLaughlin, welcome back. Dave, always a pleasure. Great to see you, and great to have a second episode. I'm as shocked as you. And but even better, you've passed your fitness test, unlike some of our other colleagues from last week. Thomas Sorenson, is, who was meant to be on this week, is gone down and is having ACL surgery as we speak. David Squires has some deadlines, and for those who listened last week know... It's images of moo moos and non-long sleeve trousers, i.e. pantless cartoons. And if you didn't listen last week, good. Save you that imagery. You don't have to worry about it. But we've got two well football luminaries to replace them <laughs> this week. One.
2: Already I can't take this seriously, Dave.
1: <laughs> the gaffers in
2: the house. Rich Bayless. Hello, Welcome.
1: Dave. Maybe that's why we've got a second week. We've got you back in the house, but we're delighted to have you here because you bought us all coffees this morning. So it's great to see you.
3: I feel like Michael Bridges coming off the bench. <laughs>
1: Well we hope it's a we hope it's a similar performance, if not better. And now we are very, very happy and, and delighted to welcome Chad Gibson, otherwise known as local F C to some. Many of you remember him from the A League, others will just know him for his Fabulous football storytelling across social media and other platforms. Welcome, Matt. Great to see you.
4: Thanks for having me. Looking forward to making my debut. And I feel like the person that used to be Chad Gibson that's now Local FC kind mm-hmm. of not known anymore as Chad Gibson. So
1: Local FC, we'll will do we'll do. Well, guys, as we start every week in the podcast, we want to know what you've been up to. Another busy week of football. Um, what's what's been uh, what's been keeping you busy in the land of football?
2: Patrice Evra. I'm going there. What?
1: It's. Uh, the- doesn't matter what time we're recording. It's too early. It's too late. It's too <laughs> everything to even be thinking about that. Dave, earlier on
3: you said something for the benefit of people that didn't listen last week. Mel, for the benefit of those that didn't watch the Patrice Everett, can you talk us through what he was doing?
2: Well, <laughs> you've all seen it, haven't you? Wait, firstly, have you all seen it? Um, look, it was... <laughs> It was Patrice Ever being Patrice Ever, and thank you, Rich, for leading me in nicely. He's just got, was it a chicken, uncooked chicken? But it was for Thanksgiving, so it wasn't a turkey, it? was a was raw it? chicken. Yeah, <laughs> and he just is kind of doing all kinds of creepy things and kind of licking it and kissing it and making out with it, and it's apparently a Thanksgiving uh, tribute, and it's just wrong. And uh, But he did a, a vegan version. As yeah, his, <laughs> his apology.
1: Every bit more as
2: disgusting. Just talking about getting in the minds of certain people. Oh, wow.
1: Gosh, Rich. I think
3: my experience, like most this weekend, involved me trying to watch not one but two second leg playoffs of the Copa Libertadores final. Obviously, the first one delayed because of the crowd trouble and, and the busts of Boca being attacked as they entered Estadio Monumental. But waking up on the second morning, hoping, of course, that it would be played, and it wasn't. So getting ready for work, if you like, and eating breakfast, my experience of football changed quite quickly because I found myself watching... The Second City Derby, Aston Villa and Birmingham, and to see Alan Hutton, who is the penal beater of all penal beaters when it comes to right-backs in English football, score arguably the best goal of the weekend. Those that saw Son score for Tottenham might have an issue with that, but it's one of the most remarkable goals you'll ever see from a guy that just doesn't know how to score. I dream of scoring
1: an Alan Hutton goal now at the park. That's absolutely ridiculous. Did you well,
4: get caught watching the... I, I got up and watched like you... The, the Super Classico, and it took me about because it's Sunday morning, made a coffee. It took me about 15 minutes to realize I was watching the first leg again, and that's happened twice. You're like that, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> they need like a flashing light saying, This is the first leg. Because I'm you're like, I'm Talking watching. to the TV, saying so they haven't learned the lessons yeah. from the first leg. <laughs> They're still playing in the back really, like three.
1: <laughs> what about you, Chad? Other than getting duped twice into watching the same yeah. game,
4: um, I had a really great weekend. I went off the grid, uh, turned my phone off, and uh, went away with my family for a minute two years and kicked the football on the beach with my my little son which is you know priceless moments um that i really loved and it was a massive week Uh, obviously timmy playing his last game um very fortunate to spend pretty much that whole last day with him and uh captured some some imagery and some stuff that um i'll never forget and spent the day in the hotel with him and then the final he didn't leave the pitch i don't think a lot of people knew he didn't leave the pitch till quarter past 12 yeah so literally he signed every autograph that took every picture and we got back to the change room at quarter past 12 he didn't shower he didn't do anything he just basically there's no one there it was just me and him um and we got in the car and back to hotel so that was took a few days to just just get over that but it was a pretty epic day he's tim around me because i've known him since we were kids um so he gives me a different side um and i think Seeing that, I think there's the last image that I posted of him, like taking those socks off. I kind of knew it during the day, but when he was taking that socks off and putting that jersey in the bag, like that's that's football to me. That moment right there, the game is is what it is, and everyone sees that. But I always say, I always look at someone who misses a goal, not who scores a goal, because the guy that's missed it. If you watch him for like a couple of minutes, the game's gone on, but he's still thinking about that. So when Tim was putting his jersey away, it was like a really you know, a special moment to capture for me. And, you know, that image will live on now. And that's what I do. And I'm very blessed to be able to tell those stories.
1: Where can fans find that particular story and some of the other ones? Um,
4: that's on Local FC and on a project that I'm working on Fantastic. as well. Fantastic.
1: So. We're recording on a Wednesday, depending on when you're listening to this for your commute. And of course, this morning in the Champions League, we saw six teams, uh, seven teams go through with Manchester City by Munich, Juventus, Real Madrid, Roma. Great story with Ajax going through for the first time in uh, 15 years. I think it, it, it it's 2005 the first time wow. they've gone through to the group next stage, and the first time they've been undefeated in five games, I think, in another couple of years on top of that. So they've got a really fantastic young team coming through as part of that Dutch renaissance. Manchester United also went through, thanks. and if they could ever get a more typical goal to rescue Jose Mourinho when the knives were going to come out after 270 minutes of goalless Champions League action at Holt Trafford, who would wow. you call for? Alexa Sanchez, Paul Pogba... Remember Lukaku? No, no, no. Marouane Fellaini, Mel? Did they have you up on your seat cheering from the rooftop?
2: No. No, it didn't. (laughs) (laughs) I was broken long before then. Uh, The talking point there is, well, firstly, well, yeah, it's minus the hair, so that's, you know, that's a positive. I'm not
3: sure it counts. (laughs) <laughs> well,
2: Has lost his thing. powers
1: though. But just a <laughs> shout yeah, out. Can you see yeah. me trying
2: to find a positive? This yeah. heck. Hey,
1: well, a shout out a positive for the the, the journo and me. The, the Telegraph's back page in in England was the headline was a clean shave. That well, was really clever, right. non-sort of cynical pun on mm. the late winner.
2: But no. The celebration, Dave. Just get to the celebration. Get, get to Jose.
1: What is Jose at? like? I know we spoke that about this weird. last week. Was it week. weird?
2: Well, it was
1: very weird because. I mean, we spoke about it last week about the the mentality of it. This is a guy, he's presiding over United's worst Premier League start in something like 28 years. They're tracking worse than the David Moyes era, and here he is kicking the bottles at full time, like he's just conjured a miracle against young boys. But like, what is the end game for here, Rich? What is the theatre has now gone to a point where it's almost a parody. Like, what is the actual state of play at Manchester United at the moment?
3: Well, the end game is that Mourinho leaves, and I think we can all agree that it, it will happen. He won't be there next season. If he is, it would be an absolutely remarkable turnaround. And you talk about turnarounds in this match. I mean, obviously they they won thanks to Fellaini winning. Scoring the winning goal in injury time But they were minutes away From having to go to Valencia mm. and, and win Being a situation where If Valencia beat them in Spain United were out playing Europa League football
0: Nothing
4: they wrong were, with that well, Nothing wrong with Europa League <laughs> no, <laughs> Coming from there so with the Arsenal big, top yeah, line, yeah, no, it's I happening one happening now
3: I would love my team to be in the Europa League Don't get me wrong But I think you know, for United, it's such a knife edge at the moment. And and Paul Ocon was in the studio with us this morning and he said throughout, he, he said, I sense it's one of those days where we will look back on, on this match for United, like we do, obviously, the loss to Sevilla last year. And, and other matches, even earlier on against Valencia this season, we looked at that and thought that's a real indication that It's a matter of time with United. It's not just the football. People find it very difficult to pinpoint it as Mourinho because clearly the players haven't bought in. Some players aren't putting in. Also the board, they're very commercially driven and they're doing a good job at that side of it. But in terms of the football, obviously it all comes down to Mourinho because he makes it about him. And that celebration, I I kind of agree. I think it was contrived. (laughs) Whether or not he put the drink bottles there, I'm not too sure. But he obviously knew they were there. You know, one he pushes over, the other one he picks up. I mean, No I-
2: one really went with him. They just kind of looked down at the bottles like, well, what did he do that for? He's I think everything he up. does
4: is planned because it gets you away from talking about results.
2: But that was his old technique. Yeah, he he's still he does doing it. it. And,
4: and it's also third year, right, now with him at United? Yeah, yeah. I think he's track record. He never stays longer than three years at a club.
1: That's yeah. right.
2: Yeah, but he has success in that time. Yeah, but he has
1: success in that third year. He's all, He always leaves.
2: Yeah. Well, so it's third-year
1: syndrome. Chad, what about the contriveness? Is that a word even contriveness of it? Like he made six know, changes to this to this yeah. team into this game. This was after talking about the lack of conviction and belief in his players. So he's made that comment, then drops Pogba and Lukaku to reflect that. Then says in the pre-game, and this is a guy who's been criticised for his teams being negative. He says, "I don't want my team to be reactive." So he sends, sends this team out. When you're in a dressing room as a player with a manager who's sending all these messages, you know everything's being played out for a reason. Been there. What does that do? Yeah, what does it do? What does um, a dressing room do and how do you actually react to that? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think it, taking that to another
4: level, the way he manages now doesn't work on a new generation. It's, no. a, it's a mentality that works on an old. generation. The new generation are a different. I kind of see myself as I didn't fit in my generation but I fit in now because the players think differently. They don't. They're not football 24/7. But when they come to football, they're football. So he's also at a club now, and players are at a stage where they're on massive contracts. They know they'll outlast Mourinho. If they sit quiet, mm-hmm. he's going to go, and they stay. You know, and there's this animal kingdom in the change room, and that's how a change All change rooms are, and you have your you have your lions at the top, and you have everyone just filters down. He lost his lions, and he's gone against them. There's no winning. Because to get rid of Mourinho costs a lot less than to get rid of Pogba, mm. Lukaku, Martial, you know, and you can't replace those guys.
2: He's, um, yeah, it's clear he's lost the dressing room, and you wonder how much of this is more about he knows he's on his way out regardless, the, you know, his three-year record or not. And his, his post-match press conference he spoke about, he actually sort of had his players' backs for a change. He kind of... For, to a point, sort of defending them, you know, it's not just down to that missile or this missile, that move. But then at the end, he's like, but just remember my record every year. Uh, I've qualified for the Champions League, except for the one where I've won the Europa League. Uh, except for the one, but I won the Europa yeah. And then walks off. So it's like, oh, yeah, he's gone back to, is that his next job interview. Is that just, you know, just a reminder, this is what I've done. Which, you know, he loves the stats, but
4: he's just he's a great Uh, it's just
2: champagne him he almost did something right by the players and and
4: switched again and for me it's it's Man United yeah and same with Arsenal like there's a certain way and like I have a thing with how Arsenal have gone as maybe not the club but the supporters there's Arsenal fan TV and things like that (laughs) for what Wenger did the club and the way they treated him they weren't fans any longer they're a business they're not travelling to away games to go watch it. They're travelling to away games to do a vlog and to do Arsenal fan TV. That's a business for them now. And they got a man fired, literally, and that's the change of how sport is going, it's, and there's nothing wrong with that. But they got a man fired who literally created the history, not the whole history of our club, but is one of the pillars of our club. And I think with, with Mourinho, there's a certain way that, same when he's at Madrid. When you're at Madrid, like that's the upper class of football, and there's a way we're all white and and you carry yourself a certain way when you're at Barca and when you're at Man United. So, Alex, you've got to take that into account, and I think, yeah, he's all about himself. His record speaks for himself, but I think football's changing, and I don't think Jose is. No, definitely not. I think it's,
3: it's interesting to see what Andreas Iniesta said this week about the time, of course, when Mourinho was at Real Madrid and basically said that the Spanish dressing room in that period was so splintered because you had the Barcelona players coming in the Real Madrid players coming in, and they hated each other because of Mourinho. Mourinho would fester this kind of ill feeling towards the Barcelona players, and it really affected the Spanish national team. But you know, to go back to that point of clubs being businesses, it shows how on a knife edge each club can be depending on the ownership. I mean, Manchester City is the perfect example of a fan base that had been downtrodden for decades, gone through so many low periods. They'd been down in in the third tier, up and down, and they owned that kind of position in English football, and that's worked out really well for them. But on the other side of the equation, the Glazers have come in at United. You look at many other clubs as well that are now being run as businesses, and clubs, PSG, another good example, and you go down through the leagues. Those of us who follow clubs in other leagues, we pine for the days where someone will come in with stupid oil money and take over, but that doesn't necessarily mean they respect the history. So all these clubs are kind of on a knife edge, and United is the perfect example of it because... We all think about 20 years ago when they were winning everything. I know you think about it daily, Mel. <laughs> it wasn't just
2: 20 years
3: ago. Why not? It wasn't. It was uh, much more recent than that. But, of course, those days are gone. Well, you big... were never
2: going to outlive Sir Alex like what you guys were talking about before. That's the thing. It, you went there and it was a real privilege and you could fly that flag or Fer- Ferguson could fly that flag forever. And it would be, I'm just so happy I'm here. And it's not – that aura's going. And, uh, They're in danger of it.
4: Yeah, and I think with like what you're saying as businesses, players are businesses as well. Now – I, I love Paul Pogba I think he's great and I've seen like a few pundits in the UK have a go at him I think Steve McMahon said he's got to stop dancing on videos and doing this he should, he's a World Cup winner he doesn't drink he doesn't smoke he's what every kid should look up to be he has a bit of fun media, social media is changing things and maybe a different generation don't get that but the guy does nothing wrong yeah his performances here and there but Man United didn't buy Paul Pogba the footballer they bought Paul Pogba the footballer 50%. They bought Paul Bogba the footballer as a brand, sorry, a player and a brand. That's why he's on the wages and that's why he's worth what he is. They knew what they were doing. So I think people think, oh, he's not worth 100 million. Maybe he's worth 70, but he's worth at least 30 to 40 million as a, as a brand to them.
1: I want to ask one hypothetical and I'll ask you, Rich, about before we move off from United. You talked about decision making and, and, and how clubs are the image of a, sometimes of a manager. What would have happened in 2016? if United appointed Richard Pochettino?
3: Well, I think you would see... the Obviously, the playing group would be very different. It would be more skewed towards younger players because I think that's one thing that Mourinho has definitely not done well in his time there is the way he's looked after and treated the young players. He singles them out. That It's that tough love, which, as Chad says, is not what this current generation necessarily responds to. But Pochettino, what he has done at Tottenham, has been based around young players. You know, you look at the development not only of your Deli alleys and Harry Canes but also your Harry Winks and even players that have come in that you would have looked at and said, yeah, they're okay. He's turned them into great players. All of a sudden, Moussa Sissoko looks like a decent mm. player and Pochettino ha- has got that ability to get the most out of players and I think obviously the recruitment strategy would be much different because there's a lot of players, you mentioned Lindelof, but there are others who wouldn't have even got nearer Manchester United under Maurizio Pochettino and, you know, that's one thing that we're not seeing as much of those players come through the system at United. Uh, we know there's a there's a good system there if it's utilised at its best. So it's one of those sliding doors moments maybe where, and he could still end up there, Pochettino, which would be great, I think, for English football and United. But yeah, it's a, it's a what if. And
1: yeah, we'll talk a bit more about the North London derby towards at the end when we preview that on the weekend. But yeah, you just look at the way um, Pochettino dealt with Deli Alli, who'd had a tough week coming into the... The, the game against Chelsea, and instead he empowered him with that role to knock Jorginho out of the game. And then you look at the way that coming into this game comments surface from Mourinho about Luke Shaw, about Martial, about Rashford. You just couldn't get a more classic example of the way you approach this generation. One foot, yeah,
3: contributing yep. to two goals that Wolves scored, two penalties on his debut for Tottenham. The next week he plays again, like he he's still involved. He's a young player. He was covering for Vertonghen at the time, but he's very much still involved. You know, you imagine if. Mourinho was his manager. Would he have had the confidence to front up a training again a few
1: days later? Well, a fascinating stat about Spurs is how Pochettino has got the best out of them. And since he's come to the Premier League in 2014, over that period, Spurs sit third. That's an amazing amount of consistency considering they didn't make any signings this year. They've had the Wembley backdrop moving from White Hart Lane and all that controversy. to only the two title winners ahead of them over that period, City and Chelsea. So that's pretty extraordinary from him. And I remember when they came to Australia for the ICC tournament a couple of years back and I got to interview a couple of players. And that was as Pochettino was starting to make his name. And I said, I just wanted to get a feel for a colour piece of what he was like. And they just, of course, they're not going to criticise their manager. I get that. But the praise and the specific examples for the way he empowers them and Um, motivates them and makes them work hard and drive and play this attacking football. You could see that on the training pitch, and now you can see that translate into the way that club's built over that time. So for them to be only five points off City, given all the vibes around the club at the moment, I think it's a phenomenal phenomenal achievement. But we'll park the Premier League there for a minute and the Champions League, because we're going to move on in a bit of a segue from what you mentioned earlier, Rich, about um, the business of sport what I think so much of us were looking forward to for the copa Libertadores de Torres on the weekend was to see something so primal, so authentic, so passionate, and just to see something that was going to turn a city and a continent um, um, on edge. Now, unfortunately, it turned it a bit too on edge. How did you, we, t- we joked about watching that game, but how did we feel as football fans seeing the passion go too far? Well, it was a great contrast, really, in that, you know,
3: obviously there's the the passionate side that is the complete opposite of that business side that we talk about. And, and South American football is this great untapped thing, I think, particularly in Australia. You know, I think we all like to watch it when we can, but it's still this kind of sideshow when it comes to football. I think we're used to the kind of... You know, McDonald's of football, if you like, of the Premier League and the Champions League, but this raw, gritty thing is why we got up so early to watch it. And in the end of the day, the raw, gritty thing that I watched was Alan Hutton, which was disappointing <laughs> because, you know, the build-up to what was billed as the biggest club game ever played in mm-hmm. South America. I mean, the first leg was delayed, then the, the violence of the second leg. It, it just It's a shame that it, that raw emotion spilled over because I think it could have been a really good lesson for... Even back here in the A-League, I think it could have been a really good lesson for how passion can contribute to a game. Well, as Chad says, football is about so much more than the 90 minutes. Yeah. You know, Here in Australia, there are security guards telling people to sit down and, and not bring flags into grounds. I mean, look at the passion of those guys. imagine what would happen if in South America you said, don't bring flags. Yeah. Mm. You know, I, know, I know I'm overly simplifying it, but it's just a shame that it spilled over into something that wasn't good to see at all. because there was so much more to offer. and It would have been a a nice comparison point, I think, to see that second leg be played, and and we sort of compare it to the other leagues around the world, and and Argentinian football and South American club football have its place among those as well.
1: Uh, I think a lot of the narrative out of Argentina has been embarrassment because it was a a mafia, ultra sort of minority that did spoil it for everybody, and and even as high as the, the, the leader of the country wanted this to be a showpiece for Argentina growing up.
4: Are those points business points? They're going for 2030 with mm. Uruguay and Paraguay. They would have lost a ton of money not having two legs shown. Yeah, it's they're saying the thing that, hey, we, this is for the country. It doesn't look good. But the business side of things... A different world.
3: Well, sadly, there were some business elements that came into it, and some pretty unsavoury ones at that. I mean, there were quotes doing the rounds from Gianni Infantino, mm. head of FIFA, saying that, you know, the game has to be played. This is when the first delay yeah. happened. The game has to be played. The players must take the field. And you thought, surely that can't be real. Mm. It was since confirmed that, yes, he said that. This is the head of FIFA. Yeah showing absolutely no regard for the well-being of players. If that's not symbolic at the moment, I don't know what is.
1: And I think dot, dot, dot into some of the reasons why. Money's one thing. They need a spot from South America for the Club World Cup. That has to be decided, how you decide when it's like this at the moment.
2: There's so many ramifications. Yeah. What about the the second leg? Where's that at now? Because there's so many different um, schools of thought about what might happen.
1: Boca don't want it to be played. Yeah. Boca no, would want it to be awarded to them. Yeah. I think this could. And go. historically,
2: it, that that sentiment is in their favour. as Yeah, well. it could go
1: legal. There are some yeah. destinations of the Italy, Middle East. Um, I saw a couple of other destinations have been mooted, but Boca Juniors right now are going to put their feet down. I wonder what it's like to be in this environment. And we were we caught up with Michael Bridges, very and pundit Michael Bridges for an experience he endured earlier in his career to give a bit of insight into what the players might have been feeling on their way to the game on the weekend. Yeah, we were leaving the um, Riverside Stadium on the Sunderland bus
0: and it's probably the only time I was very thankful that I was so young because I had to do all the um, the teas, the coffees for the football for the rest of the players, microwave their meals, so there was a section on the bus that I would stand next to that had a kitchen with a microwave on my left side and on the right side there was a toilet so there was no windows near where I was stood and What had happened, the Middlesbrough fans had kind of distracted the police and had a bit of a breakout fight um, at the different end of the the city. And what we were doing, we were leaving the bus and we were just coming over the embankment, which was like a bit...
2: It's that time of the year.
1: Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves,
2: feel the warm breeze, relax and think about... Work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away.
0: Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow, wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. ...of a freeway leading down to the A19 to head back north. And I'll never forget, Kevin Ball was our captain, and he was looking out of the window, and all he said was, boys, get down and get down quick. And there was just this, this group of fans running up the embankment. And the next thing you know, there was bricks hitting the windows. Everything was, and I was watching this all in slow motion because I I was not going to get hit from the side. And I was just witnessing the glass. And I mean, I look back now and it was funny because the lads actually shut the curtains to try and protect themselves before they hit under the tables. Um, But at the time it was absolutely frightening. The bus driver, um, Ken, he copped one in the side of the head. He was bleeding. And thankfully, John Cook, who was the kit man, he's still there to this day. He had to protect the driver um, because as we're coming over the embankment um, you know, it, it would have been a hell of a dropper should he have passed out unconscious or anything. It was quite a, a, a frightening time um, and the only bit that we laughed at when we pulled over two kilometres up the freeway to wait for a new bus well, there was there was an actual car tyre had landed on the bus after the windows had got thrown through and one of the players commented and said I'm just pleased we didn't. Meet the guy that threw this because he must have been absolutely ginormous. So um, it was a pretty frightening scene, mate. And you don't, you don't want it to. You never want to see it happen. Um, but at the time, absolutely frightening.
1: Yeah, we, we, passion is the lifeblood of the game, but we don't need it spilling over. We've seen incidents of it across the world. We saw it in the Champions League this morning where a Molotov cocktail was thrown by the aAC fans in Athens and there was mob violence beforehand as well. It's it's something we, It's something. a bigger issue than a throwaway line in this podcast. We don't like it. We don't want to see it. Um, but in this instance here, it's just such a shame that it, it, it tarnished what was such an extraordinary game. It was the final to end all finals mm. and in the end it was the final It was too big to be played. So there's some amazing reading across the internet.
3: I think it goes to show that it's a shame that it just went over the line because, unfortunately, in it going over the line into blatant violence, yep. it just plays Agreed. up to the stereotypes yep. that we deal with yep. here in Australia. That oh, it's mob violence, etc. Well, yeah, yeah. in, in this occasion, it actually was. Yep. That's if right. If they have pulled it back and just kept it at it, it, its most passionate, mm. then it's a great. Yeah. advertisement for the game yeah. and what fans should be like. It's,
2: diff- it's a different, sorry, it's a different no, no. planet, isn't it? That kind of um, raw, as you say, intensity and passion. And we see it uh, not just, obviously, there. We, we see it in Europe and we see it, um, even the mentality, uh, you know, Scotland that it mates uh, enemies on, you know, Derby Day sort of thing, I'll, I don't know. It's it's just something that we don't necessarily relate to and we can go along to a game and you and your partner or you and whoever can be wearing opposite jerseys at different codes. But um even in the Premier League, I, I've been to matches where I haven't felt comfortable. I was watching Everton, Man United and... Uh, at not at Old Trafford, so I kept my jacket on and I didn't feel comfortable taking the jacket off. It was a hot day, but the only reason why I forgot to jump up when Everton scored, actually I was never going to jump up when Everton scored, but everyone looks at you. Um, but then when you, you're Aussie and they realise that, they go, oh, Tim Cahill, you're all right. But it was intimidating and I felt the same way in Newcastle as well. It's just, you know, it's not like riding, it's nothing like that, but it's an intimidating atmosphere. You can't just, it's not like in Australia. Yeah. What you're what well, are you used to?
1: Look, active support, lifeblood of the game. Love it. Yeah. Must, yeah. must work to get that back to where it was a few years back yeah, and, definitely. and get the trust back of those fans that went there and, and made that spectacle as big off the pitch as well, it was that's what, on it.
4: Just quick that's what happened with PSG. When they were taken over, they got rid of 300 of the worst ultras straight away. Mm. Now, and then they, because I've started wherever I go around the world, even Australia, I go to lower leagues because sometimes football at the highest level is yeah. a business. And if you could drop a league, it's still got that passion. So they started filtering those fans back in to bring those at, the atmosphere back. But isn't as soon as they came in, they just went boom, boom, and out. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. There's,
1: no, you, there's no hard and fast solution like that to no, try to no. cut that atmosphere out. It's, it's really important to have that dialogue with the fan and, and to get it right. Um, moving on to our random quote of the week section, where we would pull all sorts of stuff out and we go on any tangent we want. There was a fitting line you threw out there before, Mel, which was, what am I talking about? <laughs>
2: Oh, well, God, that's standard.
1: Now, as you know, well, <laughs> listeners last week would know uh, that this is a Global podcast. We're not geo-blocked <laughs> anywhere, so you can send it to your mates wherever they are in the world to listen to. Big in Lithuania, are you? Massive. Really? Massive, massive. Mm-hmm. Massive. We've done the data. We've run the data on the first week. Thank you for your support. Um, but as a result of that, we not, don't necessarily have the audio rights across the planet, so we've got to do a bit of improvisation here. And because of that, we've got our grabs guy here to take us to wherever we want. So speaking about I don't know what we want to talk about, I'm going to throw to Diego Maradona and his post-match interview from Mexico during the week.
2: <laughs>
1: we really needed a specialist voice guy to come in and do that. Can I just throw that open? You Who wants just, that? What you was can't going subtitles on podcast? Oh,
3: that is no joke. Diego Maradona on the political situation in Argentine football
1: there.
2: I've got nothing. What a. He's got form too. It's not the first time he's done that. No, I
1: don't... no, uh, but I don't think thirty seconds of that heart, on, you know, on the heart monitor. Like you expect, something I'm going to go up and down or up and down. And that's just straight static.
2: Over. They keep the microphone on him the whole time. Every time on YouTube, goes, all these, like kinda,
1: yeah, yeah. I
3: suspect microphone. at this point of his life, he's not doing anything for the first time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we've all been in situations where we haven't quite got the answer we thought. Probably not quite like that. But Mel, have you ever been thrown under the bus by an interview or? similarly
2: tongue-tied yourself? Oh, tongue-tied often, Dave. Um, that's just normal. But uh, I do recall interviewing – this happened a few times, actually – and uh, <laughs> Kevin Musket, back in his playing days, and, and and coaching for that matter, you'd be really excited and you've got this idea like you, you're going to him with something and, honestly, basically you could say, oh, Muskie, the – Sky was blue, and he'd go, I don't think it's that, Mel. I think it's more. The-. Every single time, he'd never, ever go with you. And off air, I'd always say to him, and even later, it's like, couldn't you just once? He just laughs, just walks off, <laughs> just not interested. So every big, spectacular, epic you know, thing you've got in your head to go to, no, nah, you're not going to get it.
3: When was the last time, do you think, that Kevin Musket was compared to Diego Maradona?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no comment, Richard.
3: I had one. Well, I mean, I spoke to him a few times when he was in the A-League, uh, aaron moy he 's just a quiet yep. guy you know he doesn 't say a whole heap, we know he, lo- he loves his family he doesn 't really like to talk about football as such, and you know he 's opened up a little bit, I think since being in the Premier League, but on occasions he can just completely stonewall you and not want to talk at all we 've sent Mark Schwarzer a couple of times to Huddersfield to get some reaction post game from Aaron Moy and he 's kind of just looked at Schwartz and gone. Oh, you again. <laughs> and we saw it this week as well, post-game. He scores two goals, a great win over Wolves. Does not want the camera in his face. I think he just doesn't like the attention.
2: Do you know what, Rich? Um, the very first interview I ever did in any form of media or TV media capacity was for a show called Football Stars of Tomorrow, and it's because Andy Pascalides was running late. So he said, you, you've <laughs> got to do it. And I was at Narrabeen, and it was Aaron Moy and his cousin, and he was about 15. And he <laughs> – I thought, oh, what – like I beat myself up because it's like I couldn't get it answers yeah, out of him, but I still do that now. Same thing with him, because he's just a sweet, shy kid. He's just, and he hasn't changed since, from that moment, I see him interviewed now. Uh, and yeah, noth- nothing's changed, but he's right. just a sweet kid. A total- my guy. <laughs> no, no, you stay out of it. you <laughs> stay, opens you make up to it all. me, so <laughs> I can't
4: say that about Azza, I think, yeah. Or oh, can you hook us up or yeah, something? Yeah, uh, <laughs> come on, mate. is <laughs> uh, a good man. Um, I g- generally don't get... No, not in uh, Starstruck but like, you know, I've been like, here and overseas like in France I've met JJ Kotcher and, and all these kind of guys and all the PSG guys and I was in London and I was at an event and Ian Wright was standing there and um, the first time in my life I got Starstruck so I got introduced to him and I just said mate you're you're the reason like my kid's name's Thierry I said you're the reason I'm a gooner. and he could not have been nicer and I just went uh 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 wanted to be cool? I was like, oh, you know, when you came from Palace and you know, like, I had your video, and I was like, it was the first time I'd ever been like that. But by then, it was we had a good chat. But he was like, the ultimate gentleman. But yeah, the one time in my life that I've been starstruck was that man. Was he creeped out when you opened your wallet and there was a photo? <laughs> nah, of nah, I Had this jersey on, but no, um, no, nah, nah, he was the one guy that yeah made me. Oh, wow. that's the reason I support the club that I do, you know. So,
2: and in terms of playing, obviously I know you were captain of Queensland Royal, yeah, We don't another, talk about that. Life, yeah, yeah, we yeah. don't. We don't. Yeah, I know you're not that fussed about it because you've gone on to do so many amazing things. But just let people in on on what it is because you've obviously talked about Tim. We see yeah. you on air. Sorry, your you know your social media stuff, but. You know, over in France, tell us what you do, what what Nike commissions you to do, yeah. for example, over there, and also with the reason why when you post something, the socceroos all respond.
4: Yeah. Um, I'm very blessed that, as I said, and privileged that not only do... What, when I created Local FC, it was about creating a place for people to actually see what footballers go through and, and as I said, 100% show you how I saw football, and it was going to be raw, it was going to be emotional, um it wasn't going to be a highlights package um it was about injuries it was about everything you go through mentally as a footballer um my wife's got a master's in design and and she asked me to pick up a camera and she said you're really creative and i fell out of love with football and took about a year after i finished playing for 13 years to fall in love again and i fell in love like a kid and i believe the journey i went on as a footballer that's why i don't talk about that too much is because it took me to create local fc and my bigger vision was flying the flag and creating Australian football culture and telling these stories that, you know, I'm very blessed that the players open up to me about working with Nike football France. I've, you know, captured their football culture for them during the Euros. Um, I just finished a collaboration with Nike football Australia for the world cup where we, you know, uh, did four f- hundred customized jerseys for Australian people in a 10 part documentary series on the socceroos. And, you know, uh, when I spent over a week with Maddie Ryan, uh, Tom Rogic and then Trent Sainsbury and, and captured all that and, and I'm just as I said very blessed with them to let me, you know, tell their stories and open up to me the way that I do and, you know, their trust and the stories that I'm able to tell is, you know, for me it's all about Australian football culture and you know, we grew up with Johnny Warren and, and, and Les Murray, may uh, they rest in peace and now I feel I'm part of a generation that I want to be I had that growing up. No, I want to be the younger generation's voice. You know, I want to you know, showcase them and take football to where I think or know it can go.
1: Now, depending on when you're listening to us, uh, it's been a massive week on Off the Sport. Things never end. Champions League Thursday, Europa League Friday. Then coming up over the weekend, more Premier League. Sunday night, the Euro 2020 qualifying draw gets done. Then that's at 10pm. 11pm, Chelsea Fulham. 1am, Arsenal Spurs. 3am, the Merseyside Derby. We've got a gooner in the house. So it would be remiss of us not to throw to you, Chad, and say Mesut Özil. Well, was, he, was he called soft by Emery yeah. on the weekend?
4: I always say Mesut Özil, good player, wrong country. Hmm. As a fan, no, he's just he's my guy. I think he's in another era, and like you look what he did in Spain, like. And it goes back to me saying media again. Like there's an agenda with with Özil. Um, and the media plays such a big part, and that's not just um, print, TV. That's social media now. Mm. That plays such a, the games changed. Same with Wenger. Like it's a it's a it's a different world. Now I think you know he's I said my guy, and I know how good a player he is. I was very fortunate to go to the North London Derby last year. Um, I was in London for work, and um, long story short, caught up with Miele, and he he said, "Oh, like you going to the Derby?" And I said, "Nah." And he goes. I'll text you tomorrow and the captain that he is, he said, mate, go to this gate. There's two tickets waiting at Wembley for you. My best mate from Paris came in at midnight that night and we went to the North London Derby together. Um, I don't think I would take my son to that game. It was actually quite like going back. It was it was actually a quite a, a scary day. It wasn't, yeah, it was like getting on a train, at you know, and had the Arsenal jersey all zipped up. And, right. um, but I can't wait for the North London Derby. I'm looking forward to it. Um, we're in transition, and I'm okay with that. That's that's part of football. I'd rather be in our situation than in Manu's mm. situation.
1: And you're playing to some sort of. Can you see a template? Can you see a vision that's evolving? I think it's. I.
4: Yeah, I'm not convinced yet. Okay. I'm still. I was never Wenger out. I, I appreciated what the men did for our club, and, and maybe, for the time there was a need for change, but. It's not really any different to last year. Yeah, we've got points. We're still not in Champions League. If the season finished tomorrow, we're not in the Champions League. Yeah. We still haven't got a
1: defence. Spot quiz for you. How many games have you played at half-time? Oof, I'm not a stats man, mate. None. None. No. None. That's extraordinary.
4: Clearly, though, he's
3: keen to make decisions. He's happy to make yeah, decisions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Aaron Ramsey scenario... From a business point of view, doesn't make sense, but that's Emery just saying no. He's not in my plans. Mm. Mesut Ozil being on the bench and not coming on at the weekend because the game was arguably too physical for him. Bournemouth are not a physical Mm -hmm. team. Like he, he's happy to make decisions. I'm looking forward to the North London derby because I can't wait to hear what he picks up from Peaky Blinders this (laughs) (laughs)
4: week. What a show! English language. Like I watched Arsenal and I'm like, and nothing happens when Ozil's not out there. Like, Damon's born with it wasn't great. They got a result.
1: He's not in the form of his love either.
4: You know, and it's that's not Arsenal to me. You know, it's, yeah, it's something's, it'll change, but the Peaky Blinders reference is great. I'm still trying to get season four because I haven't finished season four. And I'm like, <laughs> Peaky Blinders, I think you called it. He's if, if, he start, if he starts coming out in the hat and the overcoat and, and, and doing this, He can stay your guys start going missing and you don't hear from him again.
1: You said something that was so interesting for me about the media and social media and how quickly things yeah. spiral out of control. Chelsea, who were the only undefeated team in Europe's top five leagues, lose a game, and all of a sudden it's. sorry. Sorry, needs a plan B. It's not working. It's almost like the script's written. And whilst we can't go into the technicalities here of Jorginho versus Kante, which for me as a or, can, or a Chelsea supporter, I find it fascinating how the best player in the world in his position has to play further forward. And it's a really fascinating dynamic that I can't wait to see him find a solution for, because I think there will be a need to adapt during the season. But is the English media here going back and pepping safari Because in the first season, everyone said Pep needs to teach his team how to defend, get stuck in. what what happens when people get physical and he stuck to his guns and now we know what history has made of it and one loss is taken for Sari, and it's similar to the Ozil criticism it's almost like it's to type so uh, as I said we'll we'll get technicians in to talk Jorginho versus Kante and that's that's doing the rounds everywhere but I'd love to pick your brains on just how simple the reaction is to situations like that should Sari pick and stick should Sari back himself here
3: Well, he's brought in Jorginho as his number one signing because he worked with him at Napoli. He understands what he has. He's more of a ball player. And can play. And can play, very good player. But he's been worked out by opposition players and managers. So you have to be able to adapt to that. I think this whole situation, and it goes to Arsenal as well, and even with Liverpool, it shows the difference between City and everyone else because when was the last time we had a, a debate about a position on the City side? Kevin De Bruyne goes, Mm -hmm. and no-one's thinking, oh, God, that's them done, because you've got Bernardo Silva, David Silva, Leroy Sane. Those guys can chop and change. Mm -hmm. Riyad Mahrez. If If Aguero all of a sudden loses form, which he's not going to do, no-one's going to (laughs) say that's them done because there's Gabriel Jesus. Whereas you look at every other squad, and Chelsea's a really good example because a squad's not actually that good, Mm. they are thin in those key positions. So obviously you're going to have those debates. And him being quite set on 4-3-3 and knowing that he wants that ball-playing midfielder in the middle, that's just the situation he's going to be in. It's a good reference with Pep, though, because, of course, before Pep had that unbelievable depth and before his team Mm. worked out how he wanted to play... These were the questions that were asked and have to be asked, but I think it just shows how far City are right now ahead of everyone else. Yeah. I be-
2: the example that you're using is just very straightforward as well. Spurs, after the result, oh, they've been figured out. Spurs yeah. have figured them out. Everyone's going to do what Spurs did. They're going to you know, handle Jorginho. It's all over. Kante's got to come back in. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it can't be. A, it's as simple as Deli Ali was on him, um, Everton put a player, Rover Charleston, on him. Well, football's a little bit more nuanced than that, but I it, i do find it fascinating because I think Kante is going to cause him a headache in the selection table going forward just because he, he is so damn. How good can he not with play. what, he, did, what yeah. he does anyway and, and and he in is, the World Cup?
2: He's
4: still he's adapted going forward, mm. he does his but his game is deep. Mm. He's not a forward he can drift through and goes through, but his game's in the centrepiece. Like, surely can both play together? Does that change the system completely? Mm.
1: I'd love to know whether he does get tempted into a 4-2-3-1 at some point because he does have the cattle to do that further forward but he is so stubborn and set in his ways and it's given him success. I can't see him changing away from it.
3: It's almost more likely and it'll be interesting to see what happens in the Europa League with his team selections because obviously it's kind of a different team. It's a B team if you like but look at his system. If he wants to take Jorginho out it's almost like the most likely player to fill in there is actually you know, or or even a Kovacic. It's, It's not a
1: no. no, he shown his hand there because it's almost like being Fabregas has taken that playmaker's position. All I know is the stress. I'd hate to think of his cigarette intake because his stress <laughs> is going to be going through. Can I say, like,
3: how refreshing, and I, I, I realise that's a bit of a contradiction in terms, but how refreshing is it to see a bloke with durries on the
1: sideline? <laughs>
2: What when does that is <laughs> yeah. <side>? just <laughs> Durian. Durian. <laughs> a How refreshing is
1: How refreshing a <laughs> dart. <dance. laughs> but you can't smoke in English Stadium, so he's actually got like the butt of the cigarette and he's chewing on it madly to hold on for dear life to get through. Um, I, need, I need a
4: trench coat as well. Like, a trench coat, just, just flicking that, it off the side. In of that course. ridiculous
1: <laughs> schmock he's wearing, whatever the word is.
3: If Vinay Emery keeps watching Peaky Blinders, he'll be next.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, to conclude, we've got the Merseyside Derby on the weekend, of course. Course. and Mel, I'm sure you are in an absolutely conflicted position because you probably you don't want City to run away with it, but for City not to run away with it, you probably want Liverpool to win. How do you feel going oh, into this weekend? game? have I posed you the most ultimate riddle?
2: Do you know what? My father and I, years ago, we looked at each other in the eye. It would, it would have been, what, 2012? Is that the year? City, the sleep, the whole bit. Was that the same? Yeah. A right? bit, bit later I'm than that. Than no, no, it was a bit 13 later, later than, than that, yeah. Yeah. Okay. right. Regardless. Yeah, regardless. The, okay, so Dad and I looked at each other, and I said, Dad, oh, Jesus, it's going to be Liverpool or, or City. Who would we prefer? We looked at each other, and we both just went, oh, City, and that was it. So I made my peace with that after. It was a pretty... um. Emotional conversation. Actually, that was it. It was literally, "Who would you prefer, City?" So it wasn't that dragged out. But um, but it was a bit of a shock to actually say it out loud. But having said that, I'll never forget going to Man City um, in a when I was there for London 2012 um, and them opening the doors to absolutely them being the nicest people. We could we had access to everything. Oh, they just damn. won the league, and you know Old Trafford up the road, and they were very difficult. And they're going, "Come on, man!" <laughs> but no, um, did. Didn't want a bar of it, but, but um, yeah, they, they couldn't have been better to deal with. And um, and all, even, obviously, they've gone on to be to be bigger. But uh, all reports are they still have that same sort of mentality. So,
1: their city, they get their PR right in some certain areas. Um, Everton are flying quite nicely at the moment. Can they can they cause an upset here? They can
3: beat Manchester United in the league <laughs> the way they're going at the moment. I don't think they've reached anywhere near their best. Yeah. Going forward, they've looked much better. They've got some players that are much more creative than we've seen from the Toffees for the last couple of years, and Silver's sort of been quietly going about his business. There's not a whole heap of fanfare. Go back 12 months, there was a lot of pressure on Everton. They started really poorly, but the expectations are really high, and you don't sense the fans have that expectation at the moment. They've almost accepted their fate a little bit. It's almost like they've got a mortgage on seventh place if they want it. Last year they slipped up a little bit and still finished just behind there. But they play good football. They could beat United in the league. I think Liverpool, though, this weekend's a much bigger challenge than that.
1: And uh, it's off the back of a big midweek, and they've got, even though it's their best start to a league, they've got a massive month and a bit coming up where I think they're jam-packed with 11 games that will pretty much, it could almost define their season and their title quest. Well, guys, we've run out of time. It's been absolutely brilliant. I've had a ball. Hope you've enjoyed it. Hope we're back for week three, Rich, with your permission. We'll Come back, <laughs> Mel.
3: I we- oh, no. he's shaking his head.
1: <laughs> Mel, we won't see- I like how
3: you didn't let me answer that because it's uh,
1: unlikely. Mel, Rich, we'll be back next week. <laughs> we'll be back next week, Mel. We won't see you next week because you've got your test cricket duties.
2: I think so. I don't know what date it is, but yeah, I'll be over in Adelaide. <laughs> I I five think. days.
1: I think if, if there was a sentence that summed up Melly e. I don't know what day it is. <laughs> what I love the fact is, you've got test cricket hosting duties next week. But you still got time just to have a yarn about football. So we've oh, had a great time. Always Dave. Brilliant. Well we'll see you soon. We'll see you soon, Chad and Rich. I'll see you outside the end of this podcast.
3: Sounds good. <laughs> Bring on the four derbies because Matt, Ryan, Aaron, Moy this weekend. What have Brilliant. Go brilliant, the
1: brilliant. Well there's so much football on Optusport to enjoy over the next week and no matter what it is, Champions League, Europa League or Premier League. Until the next Geek and pod, enjoy your football.